and you're very welcome to Maritime Ireland. This is Tom McSweeney with the Maritime Ireland Radio Show, the programme about Ireland's maritime culture, history, tradition and development. On this edition, we link up with The Fisher's Voice, the video documentary company based in Kilmore Key County, Wexford, which specialises in the fishing industry, to hear the voices of coastal communities from around Ireland such as Matthew Carney, an inshore fisherman from the Inishone Peninsula in Donegal, expressing just what it is that keeps fishermen fishing. I started with God rest my father when I was about six, seven years of age. Started off in the industry and just got to love it. As soon as it gets in, when you get on the boat and you get fishing, as the, every man that, that fishes will know it's... You can't explain what you like and what you enjoy, but it's just... It just does it for us. We we wouldn't go on a building site, or we obviously if you have to, we will. But the way it's going, we're lucky that we'll have to go. We just want the fish. It's just very simple. We're not. I don't think we're asking for a lot. Like we just we want our fair share. Is all the valuable species or anything that we want to catch. Anything we we fish. Like we started off fishing salmon, fishing spur dogs. It was a lovely. A lovely time, a lovely experience, and you could you could work with the weather, you know, but the way it's gone now, you can't look at a full cast. You have to go to fish because there's payments, there's men to pay, there's women in the house, you know, there's cars, everything has to be. It has to go, unfortunately. You can't phone up the bank and say, oh, I wasn't out this week. You still have to get payments, and we're forced, men's taking their life into their hands, like, you know, there's wee small boats, like, they're, they shouldn't be out in the weather we are, but unfortunately we're forced to. Our hands is tied. Fisherman Matthew Carney outlining the problems facing the fishing industry and coastal communities caused by the combination of European Union regulations and a bad Brexit deal with the UK. We'll hear in depth about that on this edition of the Maritime Ireland Radio Show as we focus on the sea around our coastline, our lakes and rivers which are all part of Ireland's maritime culture, history, tradition and development. So Socially and economically, they're vital. Ireland's connection with the sea is as old as time itself. We also have some good news that the Finman is on the move again. That's Henry O'Donnell, who's determined to become the first man to swim around Ireland. He had to give up of Helvig Head, County Warford, earlier this year due to the pandemic. But he has now passed Mizzen Head. But there is disappointment for Peter Lawless, the Kerry man who'd hoped to become the first Irishman to sail around the world non-stop. According to the fishing industry, 16,000 jobs will be lost directly and in ancillary sectors all around Ireland because of the European Union's common fisheries policy and Brexit, under which Ireland got the worst deal for fishing and over which the industry now faces a government-appointed task force recommendation that 60 boats must be decommissioned, removed from the fleet, their crews made redundant, families and coastal communities 
communities hit with the effects. A disaster, says the industry, and which is chronicled in the new documentary called Exploiting Irish Fishermen. The EU's common fisheries policy, made by the fisher's voice, telling the story from those in the fishing industry. It's incredible to think Ireland has the best fishing grounds in Europe and we have to go to business to allow the others to continue doing that business in our waters. So from the very outset, it was built on unfairness, complete unfairness, whereby the French, the Belgian, and later from 1986, the Spanish, had full access to our waters, but yet we had no access to their waters. What we fail to realise sometimes is that fish are our national asset. They're a national asset to this country. And it, it is quite bizarre that 85% of fish caught in Irish waters is caught by foreign vessels and only 15% of fish within our own waters is caught by Irish vessels. Now this is, in monetary value, billions of euros. This is not about fishermen. This is more than coastal communities. This is your resource. This is Ireland's resource. This is for our future generations. And we have to stop it. Ireland has the richest fishing grounds in Europe. But other countries from the continent of Europe namely France, Spain, Belgium, Holland, Portugal, Denmark even, Poland, are coming to our waters to take our quota, our share of our natural resource back to their countries to help their coast community survive. We don't get the same reciprocal access to the fish in their waters. We don't get anything back in the, anywhere near the same numbers of them, very, very little, if anything, back in their waters. And that is the reason why we are in the situation we're in, which is one in five of our vessels, I believe, will have to be put out of business. One in five families will have to be told that there's no more future for them in the industry. The quota that's being taken from Irish fishermen, of the 100% of quota, we're being driven down to 15%, and we cannot survive on it. It's not enough, and it's not right. It was always a matter that the Irish waters were open house and that we were confined to the, our own waters while at the same time multiple numbers of boats from other member states had free and complete and equal access to us into our waters. That has left us in a situation where now there's sheer frustration in the Irish fishing industry. So people wonder, you know, how is the fish given out? It's given out by quotas. Each country has a certain amount of fish to catch in, a, in, in and it's called a quota. And the reason for that is really, really important. We have to make sure you don't take out too much of fish in a particular calendar year that would dis damage the recruitment and the fish coming back next year. You know, it's as simple as that. So you can only take out so many and then they're replenished through Mother Nature next year. This is nature. But, like, you can't overfish. And again, Ireland is really, really pushing that as well, too, like, because this is our waters. So everybody has a quota. But our quota 
is way smaller than everybody else. There's not enough quota for Irish trawlers. There's plenty of fish in the waters, but um, the Irish trawlers aren't allowed to catch them. I've been involved in the industry for 33 years. And I've seen massive changes in the industry since I started. Um, massive decline here in Killybegs, number one. I remember as a young boy growing up that my father gave me pocket money to stay off the pier because the pier was such a vibrant, busy place. Three o'clock in the morning was the same as three o'clock in the day. But unfortunately, that has all changed. That's the, that is the truth of it. We don't see fish anymore. Not the way we used to. We see fish certainly, but when you take people down to Killybegs and you show visitors around, you're actually embarrassed to tell them that all you're seeing here is Spanish fish, French fish, French trawlers, Spanish trawlers. That's what's landing here in Killybegs. And that's going on around the coast as well. started with the common fishery policy. It started with historical catches. How much did you catch? We were at a disadvantage from the start and that has carried through right up to the 21st century and it has to be resolved. We're on the continental shelf so we've the best place to come to for fish. So those countries came to our waters. Ireland didn't need to have a massive fleet because the fish were close to us, we had plenty of it. So we were at a disadvantage. These boats were coming from all over Europe. They were modern. They were way ahead of our boats because they had to come here. They had to travel over hundreds and hundreds of miles. We only had to go outside the harbour. The fish were so plentiful and 10 or 12 miles out we caught our fish. And we didn't have the population to create the markets like they did. So we were at a huge disadvantage. And that's still following suit now because nothing's changed. The common fishery policy has basically stayed the same. And for our country, that means devastation. To insist on track record as a means of determining our quota for the country is absolutely ludicrous when the vessels don't even resemble what they were 30 odd years, nearly 40 years ago now. So, I think a lot of, most people be aware, there was 19, I think 1983, um, we've got an historical track record. That's how our quotas are decided. You know, now we, as we said before, and everybody knows this, we had a very different fleet back then. You know, so rules and regulations uh, demand that we have a modern fleet, and it's only right that we have a modern fleet for comfort for ourselves and board and safety. You know, so the fleet has changed dramatically. My name is Chris Downey. Um, along with my wife Lorraine, we run and own Super Value in Castletown Bear. It, it's not only the fishing industry, it's all other businesses in the community are going to be hit hard. Schools, kids, what's going to be left on the Bear Peninsula for the future? My name is Donald Harrington from Harbour Engineering. Uh, this workshop is built 21 years and uh, we are totally dependent on fishing for a living. There's 14 people working in this workshop. Castle Bear is totally dependent nearly on fishing as well, like you know, it's a fishing town. We started here in about 2004. We built the dry dock for taking fishing vessels primarily in and out of here. They're actually very, very important to us. They're the fishing fleet, I'd say, uh, accounts for about 90% of our business. I think without them, we wouldn't, we certainly wouldn't be here. I think it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's crucial to what we're doing around here. And I think they're crucial to these kind of um, communities as well because they're, they're the mainstay here. 
and I think it's not really understood how important they are to, to outlying areas like this. Because we were traditionally, we were always, this is how we survived with farming and fishing and a combination of both of them. And I think this, this the way things are going at the moment, it's, it's, it's actually frightening. Our fishing industry is one of the most regulated industries in the country, probably the most regulated industry uh, in all of Europe. And uh, all we, we, we do not see that regulation applied by the Irish authorities, by the Sea Fisheries Protection Authority, uh, to foreign vessels that land here at Kelly Beggs and in other ports where you see a lorry reversing onto the pier, fish put on the lorry, sent off uh, to the mother countries uh, without any checks. We've made an onshore services here in Killy Beggs. It's not just my company or Swan Net Gundry. We have an amazing onshore service and companies with great vision, people that are willing to work, willing to get on with it, willing to do make big progress, great strides, and have done in the past and will do in the future. But we've come to a point where we just are bemused with what's going on in our industry at the moment. We've taken blow after blow, year after year, through successive governments. Fishing is the lifeblood of Kilmarkey. Without it, there is nothing. We have we have tourism in the summer, and we, we get to spy for three or four months. But re, the reality is that fishing in Kilmarkey employs more people than any other industry. We need it. We have spoke about it many times. If there's not a change and a real change coming soon, I can see a time when the harbour in Kilmarkey there'll be cracks in the concrete, and all that will grow up in the concrete is weeds because we won't be allowed to fish. All we're looking for is permission to fish. And I just think it's very important, like at political level, that we stand up for Ireland. Since we went into the European Union, like we've never been treated like like as a country correctly. Like and we've never stood up for ourselves. It's just not good enough. Like we are an island. Like, you know, imagine there, like Irish people should be angry really at the way fishing has been treated. You take like when we went into the European Union. Every job, seven out of eight jobs in Ireland were in farming. I understand the importance. We were a poor country. We didn't have the money or the resources to develop fishing the way you fish now, like, you know, have boats safe. We were tied up in punts, like, and things like that, that you could hardly go out on a bad day. So we got very, very small quarters. It's a hard life, I can tell you, like, really, if you lived in a community like Castletown Bear, there is no family in this community that hasn't been upset with tragedy like they've lost fathers, they've lost sons. You know, it affects the whole community. Yet, after burying that person, if we get a body back, in a lot of cases you never get the person back, they didn't go to sea again to keep the community going. Everything is interconnected. Fishing and farming are the backbone of our community. Uh, and because of them, our school is a diverse place. They, the sponsorship that everybody involved in the fishing industry gives us is what allows us to give the best possible education for our pupils. This is a real social policy issue of keeping these communities going. If we can bring up our communities, because they're the, they're the paymaster of these communities, we can't go ahead without the fishing industry. And that's where the fishing is crucial to us. We have foreign vessels coming in here within four hours, turn off the ropes and going back to sea again. Whereas we've got the Irish vessels coming in, trying up for a couple of days and trying to balance quotas you know, and trying to make a living. And that's fundamentally wrong. 
the problem with this country is we simply do not have enough quota, and that has to change. That's Damien Turner, chairman of the Irish South and West Fish Producers Organisation in Castletown Bear Fishing Port, West Cork, concluding our extract from the documentary Exploiting Irish Fishermen, produced by the Fisher's Voice video company dedicated to giving a voice to the fishing industry. The producer is Sean Moroney, who was in the technology industry before moving to Kilmore Key Fishing Village in Wexford, where, he says, he fell deeply in awe of the hard-working men and women of the sea. Jimmy Byrne is the skipper of the Emer Jane, one of the O'Flaherty's boats in Kilmore Quay. A lovely man, Jimmy. Works very hard, lives for the boat. And last Christmas, he sent me a very nice text that said simply, Sean, thanks for giving us a voice. It arose from some media work I had done for the fishermen of Kilmore Quay in the run-up to the Brexit negotiations and the fears that they had that they might be put out of British waters. In the springtime, I realised that a lot of fishermen didn't feel they had a voice of their own that could be heard by the public. They are well represented by Seascapes and your own radio programmes and podcasts, Tom, and of course The Skipper and The Marine Times, but often it's hard for them to have a voice of their own to be heard by the public. Unfortunately, fishing is not as widely talked about in the mainstream media as we would like it to be. So, I set up The Fisher's Voice to try to give a voice to the fishermen. I got in touch with Patrick Murphy in the South and West Fish Producers Organisation in Castledown Bayer and I quickly saw that Patrick is very media savvy, very energetic, very enthusiastic. The chairman there, Damien Turner, the same. And it grew from there and grew very quickly. Damien and Patrick were very clear that they wanted me to produce a video documentary that would highlight just how badly affected coastal communities are by trouble in the fishing industry. The quota cuts that had come about after Brexit had affected not just fishermen but all the support industries and everybody in the communities. So Damien and Patrick worked very hard to put together the funding for the production of the documentary, and I set about travelling around the country to the different fishing ports from Donegal to Cork to Wexford, and over four or five months produced the documentary. Sean Moroni, producer of Exploiting Irish Fishermen, the EU's Common Fisheries Policy, which documentary you can see on YouTube. You also heard the voices of Patrick Murphy, Chief Executive of the Irish South and West Fish Producers Organisation, Brendan Byrne, CEO of the Irish Fish Producers and Exporters Association, Father John Joe Duffy Donegal, Diana Busher, fishing boat owner Castleton Bear, Malachy Moran, SNG Killibet, Chris Downey, owner of Super Value Castle Town Bear, Donald Harrington, Harbour Engineering, Michael O'Flaherty, taller skipper Kilmore Key, Gerald Sullivan, Managing Director, Bear Island Boatyard, John Nolan, MD, Castle Town Bear Fisherman's Co-op, and Deirdre Lee Hall, Principal, Skull and Cree Renefa Castleton Bear. You can see the documentary on YouTube. It deserves more exposure. The industry's problems are severe. Now one of our regular reports from the National Maritime Organisations here on the Maritime Ireland Radio Show. Here's John Leach, Chief Executive of Water Safety Ireland. The Finman, Henri O'Donnell, who you will have heard of previously on this programme, has recommenced his intrepid expedition to fin swim around our island nation. He had to give up of Helvig Head, County Warford, earlier this year due to the pandemic. 
but he has now passed Mizzen Head. He has been fundraising for the Irish Cancer Society and Water Safety Ireland since he started from his native Carrick Finn in County Donegal on the 17th of September 2020. He has been a great Water Safety Ireland ambassador. He is a qualified lifeguard and swim teacher, and he has promoted water safety in many ways and to many people on his circumnavigation. He has visited schools and has ensured that safety is the main priority of his expedition throughout. He just recently competed a tribute swim around Carrick Aynor, that's the Fastnet Rock Lighthouse. Children from nearby Baltimore picked fresh flowers which Henri placed on the waters near the rock after completing his tribute swim for all those lost at sea in the area and around our island nation. The local community were very grateful to him. They lit a bonfire on Cape Clear Island and flags flew over Mizzen Head. He delivered a presentation to Colosh on Fierchy in Glanmire and was hosted by Mayor of Cork County in Kinsale. On behalf of our members, we wish Henri and his expedition team success as he takes on the larger seas of our Western approaches to fulfil his ambition to be the first person ever to circumnavigate a country by fin swimming. More details on finswim2020.com. The National Surf Lifesaving Championships took place at Kilkee Beach, County Clare, on the 2nd and 3rd of October. The weather and sea conditions were challenging with strong southwest to northwest winds and strong surf, which is unusual in this beautifully sheltered horseshoe shaped bay. There was no competition held last year due to the COVID 19 pandemic, and this year's event had to be modified considerably to avoid close contacts between our athletes. In a normal year, the pool life saving competition takes place in early spring. And the combined points from both competitions goes towards the much-coveted President's Trophy, which was presented by President Sean T. O'Kelly in 1950. Consequently, the organisers decided not to present the trophy this year. Three categories competed, juniors, seniors and masters, over the two days. Overall, the competition was a great success, with over 300 competitors taking part. It made for a great carnival-type atmosphere. For most of the athletes, they were just pleased to be back down on the beach competing against each other. As you will be aware, our organisation promotes the wearing of life jackets as they save lives and have helped greatly in reducing the number of drownings on our island nation. Last year, off the coast of Cornwall, a small motorcruiser capsized in rough seas. The crew were wearing self-inflating life jackets. However, two of the crew, a mother and daughter, were in the forward cabin and when the boat capsized they became trapped when their life jackets inflated automatically. The mother managed to remove her life jacket and escape, but tragically the daughter was unable to deflate or remove her life jacket and drowned. This is a very rare and unusual occurrence, but it is a reminder to us all that wearing these self-inflating life jackets in an enclosed space on any craft can be hazardous and should be avoided, and when done so, that the wearer has the realisation that they could become trapped if the life jacket is not deflated or removed. Deflating it is the recommended action to take because then you can orally reinflate the life jacket when you rise to the surface. The full details of this tragedy are available on the UK's Marine Accident Investigation Branch website at gov.uk forward slash maib.
So please enjoy your aquatic pursuits or sports safely by always wearing a life jacket on or near the water and use your influence to further reduce the number of drownings on our island nation. John Leach, CEO, Water Safety Ireland. Now from Tenerife in Spain, disappointing news from Peter Lawless, who you'll remember is the Kerry yachtsman we talked to on the show before he left on the voyage on which he had hoped to become the first Irishman to sail non-stop around the world, aboard Waxwing. It's not going to happen. He's encountered problems. Welcome listeners on the Maritime Ireland radio show. Hi Tom. As people know, I was attempting to sail solo non-stop around the world. Uh, I had a problem west of Portugal. Something hit my rudder. Can't be sure what it was. Uh, a lot of people want to think it was an orca, but I, I, I didn't see an orca, but um, it's possible, I suppose. But anyway, it doesn't matter what it was. The problem was that it caused damage. I anchored off Portugal so I wouldn't stop, and uh, I repaired it, but halfway to the Canaries I noticed it was starting to come loose again and, and getting bad so I made a decision to stop in Tenerife it was disappointing it was heartbreaking actually to have to decide to stop but I, it was the sensible thing to do I couldn't continue it was two things that had worried me that I couldn't repair would be a broken mast and a rudder and unfortunately I got rudder damage uh, anything else I could have repaired or I would have had a spare for so it would have been irresponsible really I suppose to continue on with the rudder not working properly or well it wasn't the rudder it was the steering system itself that failed with the blow I got to the rudder so now it's the time to figure out uh, do I have time to continue on and reach Cape Horn before winter or do I go back to Ireland and um, restart again next year I'm probably leaning towards sailing back to Ireland replacing the steering system completely and start again my plan was to be at Cape Horn by January February which is the summertime. Uh, for Cape Horn, their local summertime, it would be more likely now I'd be arriving there in April or even late April, which would have put me under severe pressure weather-wise and time-wise. And And I have decided to sail north. I'm going to um, sail to Madeira, anchor there, wait for a good weather window and sail to Portugal. I possibly will leave the boat in Portugal and fly back home to get back to work and start earning again or I could go up along the coast and, and try to get a good weather window for Biscay but it's very late in the year for that we'll be into uh, you'd, be, you'd have gales there by now but um, you ha- I have actually so anyway that's what I've decided to do uh, I'm going to sail back to Ireland in spring from north uh, Spain do a small refit uh, not much thankfully to be done and I'm going to set sail again from Ireland next year to sail solo non-stop around the world I, I decided anyway for safety, for everything, for family. I weighed it up. I, I, it wasn't an easy decision, but I did it. And I'm glad. I, I'm actually quite relieved. I have a plan. I'm not under as much pressure. Uh, all I have to do now is sail back to Europe. That would be enjoyable. It'll be against the wind. I'll, I'll have winds the whole way back because it'll be prevailing northeasterly. So anyway, so that's where I am. Waxwing out. Disappointment for Peter Lawless, making the best decision, and we wish him well and fair sailing. And so we end this edition of the Maritime Ireland Radio Show, which is broadcast on 18 local community radio stations around Ireland. And they are in Cork on CRY 104FM Yole, West Cork FM, Bear Island Radio and UCC Radio. In Dublin on Near FM, Dublin City FM, Liffey Sound and Dublin South. In Galway on Connemara Community Radio and Kinvara FM. On Dundalk FM, on Athlone Community 
Radio, Kilkenny City Radio and in Mayo on Community Radio Castle Bar and RSFM Belmollet on Southwest Clear Radio that's Radio Crocker Boschkeen on West Limerick 102 FM and Tip Midwest Radio in Tipperary. There are podcasts on Apple, Mixcloud, Spotify and the marinetimes.ie and several other sources. Just look up your local podcast service. Your view on any item on the programme is most welcome. Email to maritimeirelandradioshow at gmail.com That's maritimeirelandradioshow at gmail.com our website is tommacsweetymarine.ie. Phone and text 0872 555 197. That's 0872 555 197. Sound supervision on the programme by Justin Marr. And there's more marine news on Twitter. Follow me at TomacSweeney. Wherever you've been listening, thank you for being part of the maritime community. And do remember... The maritime sector matters. Until our next program, usual wish of fair sailing.